You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapters 8 through 10. And these are probably familiar chapters to you as Saul is now going to become king. And really the, the period of Samuel's leadership kind of comes uh, to an end and, and Saul is now being lifted up as the king. And in chapters 8 through 15, it's really the section that details the reign of Saul. He will be rejected as king in chapter 15. And then David will be anointed as king in chapter 16. But Saul will continue to hold the title of king for many years, even though God has rejected him. And even though God has lifted his hand of blessing off of him. And it will be during that time that David is being prepared. And and God is working on David's heart as Samuel is chasing him all over the place trying to kill him. And it's in that time that God is doing an amazing work in David's life. And so chapter 8. It says, Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And so here, Samuel, in his old age, makes his sons judges. I believe that this was a really poor decision on Samuel's part. And the Bible doesn't really detail for us any sin in Samuel's life. We know he had it, just like the Bible doesn't detail uh, sin in the life of Joseph or in the life of Daniel, but we know they had it. But there was no major gross sin. There was was no major life-altering sin like we find in the life of David. But... I believe this was a bad decision. I think this was a decision that was ruled by nepotism, that that Samuel just wanted his sons to have prominence. And he was getting old, and his old age, I think, probably clouded his judgment some. I think also that his parents were blinded to the weaknesses of our kids, and that sometimes we need other people to point those things out. And Samuel obviously had blinders on when it came to, to his own children. Now, some people want to jump to the conclusion that Samuel was not a good dad, and that's why his sons uh, were the way they were, and, and that because he was traveling around and, and devoting his life to ministry, as we saw in chapter 7, he was on a circuit going from town to town and, and ministering to people and being the judge and the prophet of Israel, that he neglected his family. Now, that very well may be the case. But the Bible doesn't tell us that, and so we can't jump to that conclusion. And it is possible to be a a great parent and to have terrible kids. That's possible. And it's very possible that that's what happened with Samuel. You can pour into your kids. You can devote uh, your life to giving them Jesus and to pointing them to the word, and to prayer, and to modeling the Lord in, in their life. But they have to ultimately make decisions. And so I'm not going to go out on a limb, and, and again, it makes for a good Bible study. 
to say, you know, Samuel was a horrible dad and, you know, we need to be good dads or whatever. But that isn't detailed for us at all. But I think what we do see here is that good and godly men and good and godly women can have kids that reject God and, and bring shame to their parents. Uh, I think we also see here that even God's greatest servants make poor decisions, that we're all conflicted, that we all do things that uh, are dishonoring to the Lord, that are, that are sinful, that are bad decisions. And I think Samuel makes a bad decision here. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old. You know, like, why don't you just say what you think? You're old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Some translations say your sons are wicked. These guys don't pull any punches. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. And so these these elders of Israel... They take truth, but then they use the truth, as we're going to see, to manipulate. They, they use truth to bring about what they want. Yeah, it was true that Samuel was old, but that doesn't mean God couldn't use him as the leader of Israel. Yes, his sons were wicked, but the time of the judges was not a time where the, the sons would necessarily become judges, like in a monarchy. That's the difference between a judge and a king, is that a judge would be raised up for a specific time, for a specific purpose, as we see in the book of Judges. But then when that crisis was over, when God's work was accomplished, then the judge would go back to what he was doing previously. Whereas a king rules for his entire life, and when he dies, his son becomes king. And these guys had it twisted in their mind. There was nothing to say that Samuel's sons were going to rule and lead Israel. Yes, he made them judges, but they could have rejected that. They didn't have to look to Samuel's sons. They were using this as a tool for manipulation to get what they wanted ultimately, as we're going to see in verse 20. Look, Samuel, you're old. Your sons are wicked. We want a king. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And so Samuel was a, a little bit hurt, I think, that they, in a sense, were saying, Look, you're past your prime, buddy. We don't need you anymore. Let's get some fresh ideas in here. Let's get some young blood. He probably was offended. I mean, even godly men have an ego, right? I'm sure Samuel was like, hey, I can do a lot of things. What are you talking about? God's using me. Plus, I think Samuel was displeased because he knew that God wasn't calling them to have a king. This was their own idea. But he goes to the Lord, and it's interesting God says to him, look, heed the voice of the people. They so want a king. It's something that I'm not going to get out of their mind. They've made up their mind. They've hardened their heart. And there is what's called the permissive will of God. That this wasn't what God intended. This wasn't God's first plan. But he allowed it because they kept pushing. And when we push, we can make things happen. And we're going to talk more about that tonight. 
So God says, look, do what they want. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. This has nothing to do with you. They've rejected me. And I think as people involved in ministry, which many of you are involved in in ministry here in the church, know this, that when people reject the Lord, maybe they come for a while and they, they, they seemingly make a life change and they receive Christ and they're doing well, and then they reject it or they reject you or they reject the ministry that you're involved with, know that they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. When you share the gospel with somebody and they get upset and they turn around and they throw the track in your face or they get in your face and yell and scream or whatever, they, you know, if it's a family member, they tell you never to come to their house again or who do you think you are, now you're all perfect and you've got it together. I, I know you, you're, you're a sinner, you're no, you're no saint, you know, whatever somebody might say. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And it's, it's good for us to be reminded of that. Samuel's reminded of that here. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. And so, hey... Do what they want, but I want you to warn them of the repercussions. And God will warn us. He'll allow us to to do things that we push and we want to make happen, but He'll warn us. He'll use other people. He'll speak to us through His Word. He'll warn us. And wisdom will heed that warning and say, You know what, Lord? You're right. I don't need this. This isn't a good idea. What was I thinking? But they don't heed the warning. But nevertheless, Samuel gives it to them anyway. Verse 10, So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. In other words, he'll he'll take your sons and he'll put them in the military. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. In other words, he'll make them slaves. So if you want your sons to be thrown into the the military, to be put in harm's way, if you want your sons to be slaves, then appoint this king. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. And so he's going to tax you like crazy. He's going to take your stuff, and he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants, and he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. I mean, this sounds like a great deal, right? Sounds like what some people think certain politicians do with their money. <laughs> Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They, they had already made up their mind, and you know how that is. When you've already made up your mind, it doesn't matter what anybody says to you. You're going to do it. You're, you're just 
Is hell-bent, is that, is that cussing? Hell-bent on doing something? Is that a bad thing to say? You're just, you're just hell-bent on doing whatever that is. And they refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. That that is what they had already decided. We're going to have a king. It doesn't matter what you say. Yeah, we know. He, yeah, I'm sure. Whatever, Samuel. I, I mean, come on. We have control of our lives. He's not going to take our kids. He's not going to take our stuff. We're, we're, we've got this under control. Okay, old man, just hang it up. We're in control. That we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And so here was the bottom line. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to have a king that would fight battles for them. Hasn't God been fighting their battles? Except for their stupidity that got them into trouble with the Philistines a few chapters back. And their refusal to submit to God, those are the only times where they have problems. Otherwise, God protects them. He brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. He rid the promised land of all the indigenous nations. And he's protected them just fine. But now we've got to have a king. And isn't that familiar? That God is so faithful to bring you along and to provide for you and to protect you and to work his plan out in your life. But circumstances freak you out and and things come into your life and you think, I've got to take control now. I've got to do this. Even though for 30, 40, 50 years, God's been doing a great job. But now I've got to take it. Now I've got to do this. And that's exactly what they're doing. We want to be like the other nations. Their eyes were on the wrong place. Their eyes were on people. God had set them apart. See, God had, had called them to a different standard. And, and God has, has called us to a different standard, you guys. And when we look to, to the world or we look to, to people in our lives that aren't following the Lord... And, and we think, I, I want to be like that. I want to have what they have, or I want to do what they do. That's a dangerous place to be. See, God hasn't called us to that. And you know what? It's not always a bad thing either. It may not be unbelievers in your life. It could be other Christians. And, and you think, I want to have that. I want to do what they're doing. And we get jealous. But see, our eyes are in the wrong place. We need to have our eyes focused on Jesus. And what does he have for us? Don't worry about what others are doing. They wanted to be like the other nations, and they wanted protection. God had been protecting them just fine. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. And so God gave in to to their wishes. He capitulated to to what they wanted. And God will do that as we've talked about. He will allow you to make stupid decisions. Now he will always, if you allow him, he will always bring it back for your good. And even when you make ridiculous choices, God will always bring it back for your good and his glory if you allow him. And you can go off for years and he'll patiently wait And then he'll bring you back. And so it isn't like a decision 
absolutely destroys anything that God can do in your life. But there will be repercussions and there's going to be plenty in the life of the nation of Israel. But God will give in. If you push and and you make it happen, God will not circumvent your will. He's given you a free will and, and he allows you to make choices and decisions. And he'll warn you and he'll put up roadblocks and he'll put up billboards along the way. But ultimately... You get to that place where there's the crossroads of the decision and God's been warning you and he's been throwing out, you know, the, the, sh- the strip across the road to blow your tires out so that you've got to stop for a while and, and he'll put the billboard up and he'll do all of that. And you can put new tires on and keep going and reject the signs and, and there's the crossroads and you make your own decision and finally God says, okay, I, I warned you just like he did with them. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power or wealth, literally. He was, a, he was a rich man, a wealthy man, a prominent man. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. So right out of the gate, Saul is identified as a guy that you would notice. He was good looking. He was buff. He was a stud. I mean, you would look at him and you'd go, wow, this guy is cool. You want to be like him. He's, he's an athlete. He's intelligent. He carries himself well. He was a choice and handsome man. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. I mean, that's quite a statement. He was the, the best looking guy in the nation. I've never had that designation. (laughs) From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And so he was head and shoulders above everybody else. So I don't know what the average height was, but, you know, this guy's tall. he, He walks through a crowd, and he's head and shoulders above everybody else. A lot like me, you know. That I mean, it's pretty much like me. He's probably 5'8". I'm sure that's he was 5'8". Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. Now, to us today, it'd be like, oh, yeah, whatever. But, I mean, this was their, their livelihood. This was their transportation. This was a big deal. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And so these donkeys must have been well-trained and they, they were important because the guy's got a lot of money, probably could have bought more, but it's hard to replace Faithful donkeys, I guess. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim and they were not there. So you can imagine, I mean, they're looking everywhere and Saul's probably thinking like, come on, dad, just buy some new ones. This is stupid. They're going all over the place, up and down mountains. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. It's like, you know what, this is, this is getting ridiculous. My dad's going to start worrying about us. We've been gone way too long. Let's go back. And it's interesting what God uses here to bring Samuel and Saul together. These seemingly stupid donkeys. 
And yet they were smarter than the children of Israel because at least they did what God told them to. And, and you see that with donkeys all the time. And we think donkeys are stupid and they're stubborn. I don't know. I think sometimes we've got them beat. At least when God says, hey, I want to use you to, to bring Samuel and Saul together, they're like, okay, cool. And they run off and they do what God says. Because that's clearly what's happening here. The, these donkeys get lost because God wants Samuel and Saul to come together. And he said to him, that is the servant said to Saul, Look now, there is this, in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says shall surely come to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. And so this servant, being directed by the Lord, says, you know what, there's this guy, and, and I think he can help us find the donkeys. Little does he know that God's got a much bigger plan than that. And you know what, you guys? There's two things that we do with, with the mundane circumstances of life. On one hand, some people make everything into God speaking to them. So if you burn your microwave popcorn... You know, God's speaking to you, you know, that you're going to burn in hell or something. I mean, everything means something. And you know what? Everything doesn't mean something. If you get up in the middle of the night and you stub your toe, hey, it's the year 2008, we have lights, turn them on, you know. I mean, what can I say? Not everything means something. But on the other hand, we can take the mundane things of life and absolutely discount them too as if they don't mean anything at all, and we can lose out and miss out on what God wants to speak to us. Well, how do you know the difference? You just got to be sensitive to the Lord. You got to hear from Him. Don't be looking for, for something in every little corner, but also don't miss out on His voice. And sometimes, a seemingly mundane thing, God will speak to you, and it'll be like, oh, okay, wow. And so rather than getting mad and, and upset, at the things that are going on in your life, know that God is working. God is working in all the, the circumstances of your life to prepare you, to mold you, and to shape you. And so don't fight against it. Don't fight against the difficulties at work. God's allowing them to do a work in your life. Lord, what is it that you're doing here? And maybe God will show you, you know what? You're, you're not a very good employee. You're, you're arrogant. You're not teachable. You're prideful. That's what I want to show you. What, what do we want to look at though? My boss isn't very nice. That's what God's showing me. That my boss needs to go. No, God wants to show you your own heart. Don't fight against the problems that you're having with, with your kids. God's doing a work in that. Don't, don't kick against that. Because this is a season in your life where God is doing something. And on and on and on. The circumstances of your life. Don't make too much out of the mundane and look for a, a sign under every rock. But don't discount the circumstances of your life as if God isn't leading you and speaking to you either. And God is using these donkeys to bring Saul and Samuel together in a very powerful way. And Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring this man? For the bread in our vessels is gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What, what do we have? And this isn't something that Samuel would have expected from them, but it was part of their culture. That if you were going to go to a prophet, to a man of God, that you would bring a gift. And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. 
I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. Now, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. It's really kind of hard to distinguish the two. Previous to Samuel, men who spoke for God and men who heard from God were called seers. And, and it basically comes from a Hebrew word which means to see. They, they could see into the supernatural and they would hear from God and they would speak the words of God. But from the time of Samuel, they began to call them prophets and it, it, they, they took on more of a national significance. They became more of a political figure. And, and you look at the, the prophets that followed Samuel all the way up until John the Baptist. That was the, the time of the prophets. And you're familiar with, with men like Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and, and Ezekiel and Daniel. All the way until John the Baptist, there were these men that were called prophets. And they were more politically oriented as well as religiously and mystically oriented. Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. And as they went up to the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is, just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. And so in these ladies' mind, it just so happened that Samuel was there because remember, Samuel was on a circuit and he would go from city to city and he would do ministry and he would offer sacrifice. He was a nationally recognized religious leader. It just so happens he's here. That was their perspective. But it didn't, it didn't just so happen. God knew what he was doing. He ordained it to happen that way. And he put everything in place. And God is doing that in your life. God is orchestrating the events of your life. Just like we saw in the book of Ruth. How God miraculously orchestrated all the events of your life. And you guys, again, I will say it. Don't discount the mundane. God is working. God is doing amazing, supernatural things in your life through things that you would never imagine, like going on a donkey search. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore, go up, for about this time you will find him. So they went up to the city, and as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. And so what an amazing relationship that Samuel had with the Lord. Starting back at a young age when when God called him in his sleep. And, and here, God seemingly whispers in his ear. doesn't say it's audible, but Samuel recognized the voice of God. And we might think, man, I want to have this kind of relationship. I want to hear the voice of God. And you know what? It's at our disposal. God wants to speak to us. God wants to open our, our ears 
He wants to, to open his word and speak to us personally and individually like he did with Samuel. It may not be in, in this kind of manner where it has to do with others and, and big kind of prophetic revelations. But God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak into your life. And God spoke to Samuel. And so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. And I'm sure when Samuel saw him, unlike when he saw David, he was like, yeah, this is the guy. I mean, look at him. He, I mean, this makes sense, Lord. This guy's a stud. When I bring him back and I show him to all the people... Nobody's going to question this move. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? And so Samuel and Saul have this encounter, and Saul has no idea what's going on. and He doesn't even know who Samuel is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. Can you imagine what Saul was thinking? Like, what? I'm looking for some donkeys, dude. What, what is this? Your uh, High places and meals, and you're going to tell me what's on my heart? I, I mean, why don't you just tell me now? You know, what, what is going on? But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you seek, speak like this to me? I think Saul is understating himself a little bit because we are already learned that he came from a, a pretty prosperous, well-known, significant family. But it does speak to us of the humility of Saul at the beginning of his reign as king. He, he started well. It's a lot like Gideon, th- this speech. I'm from the least of my father's house, and, and we're the least of, of our tribe. Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. This was a big deal in that culture, to be seated in a place of honor And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. And so Samuel had this all planned out. He even had the cook set apart a special part of the animal. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you. Since I said, I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. Would have been interesting to to hear that conversation. It's not recorded, but I'm sure it was an interesting conversation as Saul's eyes are open to what God is, is doing. They arose early and it was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house saying, Get up! that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. But you stand here a while, that I may announce to you the word of God. 
Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city, that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. This is all to confirm to Saul that, that this is the hand of God. Because I'm sure Saul was thinking, who is this guy? Just telling me every step of the way what I'm going to encounter. And I'm sure as he went and he encountered it all, it was like, what in the world is going on? And God's hand was upon him and he wanted to confirm that. Then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned in to another man. And so instantaneously, God is going to transform Saul, this is not a spiritual transformation. This is a transformation where Saul is going to now be equipped and given the resources to be the king of Israel. And let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt sacrifices and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formally saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets that the people said to one another who is this that has come upon the son of kish or what is this that has come upon the son of kish is saul also among the prophets then a man from there answered and said but who is their father therefore it became a proverb is saul among the prophets and when he had finished prophesying he went to the high place then saul's uncle said to him and his servant where did you go So he said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. And so he's not being completely forthright here. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities. 
and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is, hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king! Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. It's interesting, we see Saul in a couple different ways as a really humble guy. He's hiding among the equipment when they want to make him the king. It's like, no, not me, you know, who am I? And they bring him out and, you know, he's all timid. And and then here's these guys that are coming against him and despising him, not giving him gifts, and he held his peace. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't complain. He starts off well. The problem with Saul is that he doesn't finish well. And there's an interesting thing about these chapters and this description of of Saul. It doesn't say anything about his spiritual life. It doesn't say anything about his character. It doesn't say anything about his relationship with the Lord, his heart for God. And I think we could draw the conclusion that he had none. And that becomes evident later on. And here's the the application, you guys. I believe that God was raising up a king for Israel. That God ultimately was going to give them a king. A king after his own heart. God was, was training this man. God was raising up this man. He was a young boy. God was doing a work. But they wanted it now. And they had to have it now. And so God gave in to their wishes and gave them a king that would be their undoing. God had already given them a king by the name of David, but they rejected that king for a king who would fit their description of what a king should look like. Tall and handsome and strong. And you guys, the Lord has a wonderful plan for you. God has Davids in your life that he is preparing, that he's working that he's putting in to play. But if you push and you prod the Lord, you'll get Saul's. And as we're going to see, it's devastating. And so wait on the Lord. Wait for God to bring his best. And yes, ultimately, God brought it around for his purposes and for their good. But look at all the turmoil they had to go through because of their impatience, because of their impetuous behavior. And I don't know how that applies to you, but it can be applied in so many different ways that we want to raise up Saul's because we don't trust God, because we don't believe God. That's the bottom line. And see, ultimately, David is the line in the lineage of Christ. Ultimately, David would be succeeded by another king, the king of kings. And see, that's 
where it really becomes important. That we aren't rejecting the king of kings for Saul's. That we aren't saying, yeah, you know what? Jesus is great and I love Jesus and it's, it's amazing what he did and I want fire insurance and I want to go to heaven, but I'm, I don't really want to surrender my life. I, I want a king that I can see. I can't see Jesus. So I want a king in my life who I can see, who looks cool, who's strong and handsome, and maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a president right now. It's going to be this candidate. I mean, he is going to be the savior. I mean, that's, that's people's perspective right now. People on both sides are putting way too much trust in a man. When are we going to learn that they let us down? This weekend, I wrote an article for the paper. It's coming out that I called Jesus for president and just talked about how, you know what, Barack Obama and John McCain, whoever becomes the president, they're going to let us down. And ultimately, people are putting way too much faith in a man, in a system that is flawed and failed and has proven to let us down every time. But Jesus will never let us down. And so maybe it's a presidential candidate that you're, you're putting there. You want to see your king. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your, your children, that, that they're everything to you. And, and, and Lord, I love you and, and everything is great, but I mean, this is, this is where I'm at in life and I can see this. And, and, and that's what you're putting all of your focus on. And, and, and that's what your life is completely dedicated to. It can be any number of things. Saul comes in all different shapes and sizes in our life. But ultimately, when we raise up Saul, we reject Jesus. And he doesn't want to be rejected. He, he wants to, to have you open the door of your heart as he's knocking lovingly and gently. And he wants to come in and he wants to have a relationship with you. That's why he took on human flesh. It's why he was willing to go through what he went through, why he subjected himself to the barbarous torture that he experienced was so that he could have a relationship with you. But he won't force himself in. And if you want a Saul, he'll let you have a Saul. And so there's great application for us in that. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to, to open up your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from you, to have you speak to us clearly, personally, individually. And God, we pray that, that your word would not dissipate. God, that the enemy wouldn't steal your word out of our hearts. God, that it would produce fruit. And Lord, right now, if you're bringing to mind, Lord, if you've convicted us tonight of Saul's, that we've raised up, that we've insisted that we have to have, and, and it's going to be this way. And I know what's best. God, we pray right now that we would dethrone Saul and that we would put Jesus on the throne. Lord, ultimately, you had raised up David. And David, Lord, was to bring in Jesus. And Lord, just like the Israelites... We reject Jesus for Saul. And forgive us, God. Forgive us for that. Jesus, 
be the king of our life. Where we don't want to just have fire insurance. We don't want to just ask you to, to give us stuff and, and to provide for us. And we don't want to just call out to you when, when things are falling apart. Jesus, we want to have a relationship with you. What you long to have. Real and vibrant and authentic. What you gave everything to have, Lord. And God, you're so gracious. You'll, you'll settle for what we choose. And Lord, you'll put up with us so lovingly, patiently, as we keep you on the back burner of our life, as we make Saul the prominent one. Lord, but you have so much more for us. And so tonight, God, may we make a break from Saul and make Jesus King and Lord. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.